You're listening to episode 48 with Megan Glover, president and co-founder of 120 Water Audit and the winner of the 2019 Imagine H2O Accelerator. This episode is brought to you by Imagine H2O. Hi, this is Tom Ferguson, VP of Programming for Imagine H2O. This is the podcast that is revolutionizing the way the water industry communicates with the public. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. Imagine H2O is a water technology accelerator, empowering people to develop and deploy innovation to solve water challenges globally. You can be innovative about anything, from your hiring process to the way your organization deals with hexavalent chromium contamination. What matters is that you're constantly trying to improve the way you're doing things, and the better you are at innovation, the better you are at everything. Learn more about Imagine H2O, their accelerator, and other beta programs at imagineh2o.org think that we need really take a, a, a step back and say, how am I going to now interact with customers because I'm going to need things from them. I may need to increase rates. I may need to get them to buy into replacing their infrastructure. I honestly may just need a good review and for them not to call their attorney general. <laughs> I mean, like, like literally, but, um, but I think, you know, that expectation of in order to, you know, get what I need from our customers, you have to kind of, um, you do have to do marketing and communication outreach and not just because you're forced to, right, but because that's just a good thing that you should be doing um, to touch your customers. We are still on a high from attending the latest Imagine H2O Innovation Summit and Gala. This event and group of water nerds are one of my favorites, second only to our event and water nerd tribe at Catalyst. You know, we always come away so pumped up, so inspired, so honored to work with the amazing folks that we get to meet at Imagine H2O, including people like Megan, Isaac, Emily, Tony, Tony, Dan. I, I know I missed some in there, but the entire 120 Water Audit team. When we recorded this, we had no idea that the 120 team would be taking home the winning award for the 2019 Imagine H2O Accelerator. We could not be more excited and happier for them and so honored and proud to call them a client. We're so excited. Megan and her team have taken 120, this amazing startup in one of the most challenging markets to break into from zero to $2.4 million in revenue in just 24 months. But what stood out the most to Tom Ferguson that he said on stage as he announced that they won and was inviting Megan up to the stage, what struck him most was the feeling that Megan Glover's team would be quite willing to go to war for her and that that spoke volumes not only about her, but the quality of her leadership. So this is a great conversation for any startups and entrepreneurs out there seeking to enter the water space for some words of advice, some words of encouragement, but it's also an important one for utilities to hear as well. Megan gives us some great perspective on the role technology and data can play to optimizing the human capital element of your enterprise. We also talk women in STEM and of course, communications role in revolutionizing the water industry. Viva. A few words on Megan. She is the co-founder and CEO of 120 Water Audit, which is a software and point of use company that provides solutions to government agencies, public water systems, and school districts to manage their lead and drinking water programs. A data and software veteran prior to founding 120 Water Audit, she spent nearly 15 years as an executive building and scaling various software as a service products in Indianapolis, including Angie's List, 
Compendium, Delivera, RICS Software, and Die No. With a passion and knowledge base for utilizing modern software technology to solve problems, 120 Water Audit provides modern software and tools necessary to solve some of our most complex drinking water challenges. So without further ado, let's get to the show. We are super excited to be uh, speaking with Megan Glover, the founder of 120 Water Audit today. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Megan. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this has been like a long time coming. I think we've wanted to uh, be able to get on and be able to in, uh, interview you for mm -hmm. actually having since, you know, met you because your story is just uh, so amazing. And uh, we've been wanting to share it with our listeners for a minute. So we're super stoked that we were able to make it happen mm -hmm. for if the perfect month, Water Innovation Week month. And um, there's no better time to do it than to now. So I guess it was meant to be, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um, we ask all of our guests to share with us their water story. And, you know, we really love yours because um, essentially you were a water customer that uh, saw a gap that needed to be filled. And whereas most people would call their water provider and probably get pissed off and upset about it and, and then kind of move on and, and get on with their day, like you literally changed your life and founded a company to, to fill that gap. So can you kind of talk us through that evolution that you went through from customer to water tech CEO? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, it was actually about three years ago, almost to the day, you know, give or take a few weeks that um, I was literally sitting down with my business partner and we were not sitting down to talk about water. Um, we were actually talking about a new business that he was launching because I had spent my entire career as a pretty successful sales and marketing executive for uh, software companies in Indianapolis and in the Midwest, building, um, building essentially software companies that sold to businesses. And um, we sat down and it was at the height of um, the, the, the Flint, Michigan crisis in terms of you couldn't turn on a television without seeing some sort of Flint, Michigan story and some, you know, poor child's blood being drawn um, for testing for lead poisoning. And we got on that topic. And, um, you know, as we were getting ready to leave, my business partner said, he said, um, you know, Megan, have you ever thought about what's in your water? And I took a pause because I hadn't, you know, I, I was a, in my mid thirties and at least in Indiana, we have a lot of water. So I never had to worry about going to my tap and turning it on and having water. And to your point, like I pay for it. That's what I pay my water company for, right? I just expect that I'm going to have water. And then when I go up there, it's going to be clean and safe. Um, but as a mom of two young kids, I certainly, I certainly bought organic milk and I certainly really cared about making sure I had fruits and veggies in my, in my refridge. So I went home that night and given my background in, um, marketing and product market fit and bringing products to life, I started to like immerse myself into if, if I were to buy a kit or buy a water testing something tomorrow, what would I do and where would I get it? Yeah. And um, honestly, that is where 120 Water Audit was born because I, I did all of this research and I didn't really like the solutions that were available to me. Um, I, called, I called a local environmental lab and um, I asked, you know, hey, can you test my water? And they wouldn't do it. 
I called my water company and they said, go see our consumer confidence report. Um, we don't, you know, we don't test your water. Um, so I went back to my uh, business partner and I said, I, I think there's something here. I don't know what it's going to be, but um, I'm in. Let's do this. And six weeks later, we launched our very first part product, which is very near and dear to my heart, which is our standard water testing kit um, that goes directly to a consumer's doorstep, back to an EPA certified lab, and digital production of results within 14 days. I love it. Love it. And I love that... Um, like you guys have even, I say you guys, because obviously we work with you, but we work with Isaac as well. Your, your marketing folks and folk folks. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, you guys have even kind of crawled inside our head, having been the ones who have been creating consumer competence reports and water quality reports. And, you know, after having kind of heard your story, we wondered what would happen if, cause we know that. So we take that knowledge for granted and we wondered what would yeah. happen if we kind of put ourselves in the shoes of customers and called up, you know, utilities to find out what that process is. And, you know, like every city is a little bit different. Every city, some cities are easier. Some cities are not, some cities have it, some cities don't. And so it was just really interesting to, you guys really took us outside of our roles that we were normally used to being in and really putting ourselves into the shoes of the customer. And so it was a really, it was a really powerful experience for us. So we definitely appreciate having given us that perspective. Yeah. <clears throat> so cool. Yeah, no, that, that is, that is so cool to hear. And, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, get ahead of the conversation, but I think that um, putting ourselves in, in the life of the customer and the eventual end user is how we've approached every single decision at 120 Water Audit, whether you are our customer's customer or literally the, the person um, at the lab tasked with executing the event. We, we take customer journeys and customer personas really, really seriously at 120 Water Audit um, in, in kind of every decision we make. So that's, um, that's really cool to hear. Yeah. I, um, so 120 Water Audit applied and was selected to be a part of the Imagine H2O Accelerator. Woo! That was awesome, is awesome. Um, can you tell me what the process has been like and why do you think it's so important for water startups to get more access to mentors in the water industry, especially uh, from utility members? Yeah, so we are super excited. Um, wow, what an awesome milestone for 120 and then all of the other cohorts uh, in the 2019 class. But, um, you know, in terms of the process, it, it, it's been a pretty intensive process. I mean, to start with, I, I, it's a global accelerator. And I believe this year they had just over 230 applicants around the globe. So, you know, to be, um, you know, to be among the 2019 cohort with that many applicants is just incredible, regardless of who, who ends up winning the pitch competition next week. But, you know, after we were announced as part of the cohort, then we've been on this kind of weekly journey with Imagine H2O getting paired with mentors, um, you know, within the industry as well as making sure we have all of our deliverable, you know, deliverables ready because we have lots of programming and planning that takes place when we're in San Francisco next week, meeting with potential customers, meeting with potential investors, and then meeting, you know, obviously with an entire pitch audience as well. So lots of preparation um, and we are, we're pumped. We're really excited. And, you know, I think 
you know, the, the mentorship just, especially for innovation in companies that are just starting out, it, honestly, it's critical. It's mission critical. I mean, I think if the water industry wants innovative companies to build businesses that can actually help and do good, then mentorship just has to become synonymous with innovation. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, this industry is just so networking based and referral based. And, you know, we need mentors to mentor us um, if we want to kind of cultivate this, 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 you know, innovative kind of um, mindset. So um, I think it has to happen, you know, in order for companies like 120 Water Audit to succeed. And uh, mentorship can take on many, many different angles, right? It can just be, it can be introductions. It can be product feedback. It can be investor feedback. So um, there are many different ways that we can kind of give back. But in my opinion, it's, it's absolutely critical um, if we want to be innovative. Yeah, and I love how you really tied feed, just feedback into being mm -hmm. such a critical piece of that because, I mean, if if exactly like you said it, if, if they want to bring innovation in, if they want to be seeing innovation solution, innovative solutions that are actually solving problems that they actually have, if you're not doing that every single day, you're not going to know that unless you have those interactions and ask those questions and get those answers. So that's kind of something that ever since <clears throat> being exposed to Imagine H2O and kind of learning about what they do and more about it, just been preaching more to our folks on the utility side, like, don't run away because you think you're, <laughs> you're going to be sold to, you know, it's just give feedback, talk about like, what are the issues that you're having? Like, mm -hmm. because you never know who's going to solve, who's going to create the next solution that's going to just change the entire world. You never know. And that's not going to happen unless we're talking and having that dialogue. So I, yeah. I love that part. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cause you know, it's, it's just one of those things where when you're innovating, especially something that's net new, you know, every market's the similar and not every, every person's going to adopt your solution. Like that is a, that is, you know, that is idealistic and that is not, you know, unique to any one industry. That's just in general. And so, you know, innovative companies like we don't expect everybody to adopt our solution, nor do we expect everybody to think that we're the greatest thing since sliced bread, but, um, but we want feedback. You know what I mean? Like we, we just, we're desperate for that just because, um, you know, again, it's just how we all get better and how we all build solutions that, um, that can help the industry as a whole. So, yeah, I think there's a, a mindset that needs to shift from, oh, great, another sales pitch, you know, when you're in the utility to, oh, how cool of an opportunity to tell them what exactly I need. And may that, that company that you're talking with or meeting with, um, you know, may not have that solution, but just to be like, just to give that, like, I wish I could go back to the utility world and, and, and set those meetings up, um, accept those meetings and, uh, you know, tell my director, like, just, just meet with them in person and, and tell them exactly what you need mm -hmm. to solve this. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So like on the same kind of lines of adoption, you know, the, and I'm, you know, you, this is water industry is not the only industry you've been in. So this might be true for others, but you know, for us, I really feel like the water industry is not an easy one to break into, especially as a startup company. Um, mm -hmm. However, you know, we, we need your ideas. We need this uh, innovation to be moving the industry forward. We have a lot of challenges. Um, there's a lot of solutions out there that could help with some of those challenges. So what's some advice 
now kind of having been in the game for a minute, uh, what's some advice that you can give to other startups out there trying to break into the water industry or like even words of encouragement? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> solve, I, I think solve simple problems. You know, what's interesting and in, in, um, the Imagine H2O cohort said this, but we've actually heard this from some of our clients too. You know, um, what what we do, we, you know, we're not inventing a new piece of hardware, if you if you will, that's going to just completely, you know, earth-shatteringly, you know, change change the way we clean water, if that makes any sense. You know, truly, we are just solving simple problems that have been solved before in other industries and applying, you know, modern business applications and processes and you know, and our kits to um, to these water problems. And I think, you know, there's you know, starting with meeting, you know, meeting, meeting the industry where they have problems now and, and providing them solutions, give you the opportunity to innovate moving forward. And I guess, it, you know, for example, um, you know, for us, that can be as simple as let's digitize your data. <laughs> I mean, let's take your data from um, that filing cabinet to an online cloud-based, you know, secure platform. And that's not rocket science, but that's the first step in getting them to innovate and accept a technology-driven approach to water quality or the other water programs that they are that they are solving for. So, you know, again, um, you know, I think part of this, there, there's room for really, really big ideas in this industry, but sometimes starting with the simple idea and getting, you know, getting folks used to that will allow you then the opportunity to become more innovative over time. Um, yeah, we forget that that is a form of innovation. We're not, we're not saying you always have to have some fancy, you know, widget or something that just taking your paper filing cabinets, you know, into the cloud, that's innovative. And, you know, turns out you could probably clean up some of your closet space that are actually big <laughs> enough for four people to fit in. Right. And, and turn those into offices, you know, put, let's put bodies in there, not paper. Yeah. Right. Right. No, <laughs> I mean, ironically, I'll tell the story and I'm not going to name names, but you know, really early on, I was literally sitting next to like one of the inventors of email marketing. And we were talking about basically uh, turning a very labor intensive process and, and, and using our kits to completely make it digitized. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we said, well, we'll just trigger all of, you know, when we have known email addresses, we'll just trigger the results as well as sending the letters so we can track all of the notifications and whatnot. And you would have thought I said, like, we are going to send a satellite to Mars, <laughs> you know, when I said, yeah, you can track, you can track all of this. Right. Um, so again, I think we take for granted maybe some of these tools that have been applied in other industries that are just now kind of serving, you know, applications in, in water. Oh, I love that idea of looking kind of outside of uh, the sphere to to get ideas from from other industries. So at Imagine H2O last year, Clifford Chan, who uh, is at East Bay Mud, he was talking about how, um, you know, the water industry is one of the reasons that in some cases, they're slow to innovate on some things is just because, you know, they're dealing with drinking water, which is a serious public health issue. So they can't just kind of adopt on a whim um, anything that's kind of related to the treatment of, of that for public health reasons, obviously. But, you know, but he talked about looking outside at other industries who also have similar high risk roles, like for instance, the pharmaceutical industry and looking at some of the innovations and things that they were doing and borrowing from there. So um, 
I also just read a book about dream teams. It's all about like looking outside and getting people with different perspectives. So I really love that idea of looking around at other industries and seeing how they're, how they're innovating and how they're adopting different technologies to Im improve. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy. That's a really great analogy. <clears throat> so technology has obviously created a, an abundance of data, um, but data is only useful if we can use it, uh, if it can be used to drive decisions that drive improvement. Why is data management so important for utilities and how can they be doing it better? Oh gosh, you know, that's a good, you know, that's a good question. Data management is obviously near, near and dear to my heart. You know, I think, um, <laughs> you know, there, I feel like there are, are so many, um, so many ways to answer this question, but I think that all goes back to a lot of trends that I'm sure you hear all the time that we hear at the time. Let's just start with trend number one in terms of, you know, aging, aging workforce within the industry, right? Um, you know, a lot of data is still being managed in silos in and field workers' heads um, on paper that's filed away on, you know, in a cabinet that only someone, you know, with institutional knowledge can access. So, you know, to your point, the more the more siloed the data is, the less accessible, you know, less accessible, um, and you know, the fewer things that you can do with it, right? So, first things first, you know, getting your data house in order so that, you know, you're preparing you're preparing it to survive on, to you know, to be less contended about people and more just about your system-wide, you know, data repository. So, you know, that's one, um, redundancy of data, making you sure you have a sufficient backup. Two, you know, risk mitigation. And then you hit the nail on the head. A lot of the programs we work on are lead in drinking water and lead in drinking water at the point of use. Mm -hmm. yeah. And once you go past the meter <laughs> and into somebody's home or into someone's daycare, there are so many data collection points and so less room for error, if you will, you know, on all of that. So anymore, it's not accept, not just acceptable that, that water systems utilities have their own data house in order. They also have to be responsible for these other data points they're now collecting as byproducts of some of these very high-risk programs, right? So contact information, you know, customer notification letters, consent decrees, you know, when did you do what on my property? You know, all of that needs to live someplace to protect the utility from, um, you know, from risk and exposure. And then, you know, I think that the third point is operational efficiency and effectiveness. You know, there's, you know, we talk about, get, you know, getting your data management order is just the first step. Once you have the data, then you actually can take action on that. That's when you can actually start running your programs on top of your data, right? Whether that be applying systems on top of your data management that can automate certain manual workflow processes, right? Or, um, or you know, use analytics and reporting tools to, man you know, to manual, or not manual, automate some of your manual reporting processes that take potentially hundreds of hours for your utility. So, you know, again, when you just look at the benefits, there's more than just one, and it generally kind of goes down to, you know, operational efficiency, resource efficiency, and, and risk mitigation, um, you know, in terms of how you're run, running your operation. And one of the areas I'd really like to see utilities, I mean, so many utilities are used to running lean. I mean, crazy, stupid lean. Uh, they do what they're able to do with the number of staff they have sometimes is absolutely incredible. And so it's just kind of second nature for them to be like, oh, so-and-so can take care of that. And so-and-so can take care of that. But what the thing that I really like that from my perspective that I really liked about learning more about 
the aspect of data management is just kind of the ROI on the on the human capital side of that mm -hmm. and being able to say, okay, now this person doesn't have to spend this many hours of their life in this month doing this because that's all been automated now. And so yeah. now they're doing the job that they really should be doing and, and can be doing. And, and so like I, I really, it's so easy to say so-and-so can take care of that because so-and-so is probably amazing at just adding more to their plate, but just really looking at the ROI of taking into account the amount of time that you're saving that very specialized person from doing and doing something that they don't really need to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we call that value add time back in your day. Just because yeah. you you can and should, does that mean you should do, right? Exactly. Um, you know, and, you know, again, it's just about if you have someone that, quite frankly, um, you know, should be head down on a more value add task, then that's really where they should be focusing their time as opposed to, you know, simple things like what we do in terms of, you know, running a kit in someone's house, <laughs> yeah. you know, two, yeah. two hours across the, the city. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know that as as water as, as water nerds, we should say that water is the most precious resource. But since becoming an entrepreneur, I have learned that time is actually my mm -hmm. most precious resource. Yeah. So anything yeah. that I can do to, I love that that to give that back and that value that is incredibly incredibly valuable for especially utility. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and that goes back to retaining good talent as well. You know, people, um, you know, people are willing to take on take on as much as they can bear. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like, well, if I'm, if I'm looking at uh, continuing in this job or I can go someplace else and make more and, and do less, quite frankly, you know, what are they going to do? So, um, so I think it's, it's constant kind of, to your point, evaluation of, you know, how, you guys seriously, right? Like it's a constant evaluation of how fulfilled and, and how, you know, you know, how easy are you making my job? To be honest with you. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm making more, but I'm definitely doing less. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm only I'm only forty nine percent. Oh boy! Because that's what I mean. Everyone knows this. The old adage of uh, you know the, the reward for doing great work is more work. I know. Yeah. So I, I know. think that makes me doing one hundred and fifty one percent. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, we live in a world where it's it's real easy to fall into sort of this template or timeline that society expects of us or places on us like oh well I'm gonna go to school I'm gonna go to college I'm gonna get a degree I'm gonna be in this job for however many years and then I'm gonna retire and yada 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 but being an entrepreneur is daunting and so the the roller coaster analogy that I've heard is is, is very legit in my eyes so um we're all parents here um how important is it to you to be mirroring this completely left field option for your kids. Mm -hmm. That is a <laughs> yeah. That is a great question. Um, it it's I mean it's it is super important for me. I mean obviously I do what I do because of my kids. You know I, I think um, you know if I if I didn't want if I didn't want my kids to see a different way to do things in the world and I wouldn't be doing this. I would, I'd probably be play the safer approach and, and get a desk job or do, do something that, you know, doesn't require thinking out of the box. But, um, I, especially, especially for my daughter, to be honest with you, I mean, it's painting this picture of you can do anything yeah. in any industry. And if you have a problem that's worth solving, go and try to pursue it. 
um, you know, I think it's, it's uber critical um, for me to be painting that picture for my kids. Mm -hmm. And then also, even to your point about uh, following this path and we go to school and then we do this and do this. I mean, half of my um, engineers on my software team didn't graduate from college. Um, And so I also don't think that, you know, you have to even follow that prescriptive path. Like I don't have an MBA. Um, I don't plan to go get an MBA. And (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) and so I I think it's more about like, you know, what are you really good at and how do you actually apply that to the industry and then good outcomes will happen. You know what I mean? So, um, so I think that's kind of a little bit of an inside mission that we have at 120. Not only that's how I live my life, but we're all kind of like that. If you hear our stories, you know what I mean? We're not all cookie cutter um, entrepreneurs that, you know, you know, have, have lots of different letters after our names, right? We're just <laughs> solving a problem that happen to have skill sets that can, that can do that. So yeah, yeah for sure. One of my, um, deciding factors too was, you know, when we, when we decided to, you know, leave the city, it was, we literally spent a month or, or so just kind of back and forth, like, you know, do we do this? Do we not? This is crazy this is, you know, life that this is, you know, just back and forth. And, you know, one day I kind of had a moment where I was like, what do I really want my daughters specifically, um, to see later on down the road? There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with being a public servant your whole entire life. It's amazing. But for me, I needed to do that. And then I, I needed to do, um, this other thing that was calling me to do it. And so that was really important for me to say, um, to be able to tell them, you know, years later, like, yep, I, I had a calling. I felt like I needed, I had a solution to a problem and I took that risk and I did it. And I think that just shows so much more for those, for the, for the kids than, well, and there's something empowering about it for me from a parent is, uh, being able to fear something and do it anyways, and then be able to share that and share that experience, uh, with your kids, you know, and I also have a daughter. So, so especially powerful for that from, from woman to, or from mother to daughter and to be able to say, I can tell you from experience (laughs) that you're going to find things that you're afraid of, but a lot of hard work and gumption and Mm-hmm. series of other things can uh, oh, yeah. can get you through it <laughs> yeah. yeah and you're going to be told no like why are you doing this right yes. you know and oh, yeah. and and you know that's that's the other thing too is um you know resiliency I mean it's yes. such it's that's such a great trait that I don't think a lot of kids have right now because everyone wins Mm-hmm. I don't know about your kids, but I, I just feel like everyone wins. And, and as we all know, especially fierce, you know, you guys are, you know, fearless females and, um, you know, no, they, sometimes you don't win and, and that's okay. But it's not like, what did you learn from that? And, and, you know, do you still want to stay in the game? And if so, how do you overcome that? And that is like an incredibly important skill set that, um, that I think, you know, hopefully our kids need to learn at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one of our, one of our, um, heroes, our sheroes is actually probably one of y'all too, Kathy Bailey with Cincinnati. Uh, and, um, she reached out to us one time on Twitter and was like, Hey ladies, I need a hashtag where women can talk about just 
stuff that goes down in the workforce. And so we brainstormed on some things and we came up with hashtag fierce. And so now whenever she uh, has instances to say she'll, she'll hashtag that fierce, which is females and environmentally related careers everywhere. And so uh, obviously like she's in the water world. And so that's why we tagged into that environmental component, but it could be, it could be for anyone, but um, so I love that she is such a proponent of strong females. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's definitely an honor to be sharing the mic with, uh, with you and, you know, we're in the water industry. You're a bad, a female <laughs> entrepreneur. We loved, you know, we fell in love when we <laughs> were like, wow, she's bootstrapping it. You know, she's got kids. She, she took the plunge, like pun intended. And, um, so as, as is your nature, you didn't stop there though. You're involved in, um, some other projects that encourage girls to get involved in STEM, in the STEM field. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think, um, again, I'm unfortunate enough to have gotten some traction and especially some traction here in, in Indianapolis. And, um, again, I'm a big fan of paying it forward. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the ways that I try to help pay it forward, especially here in Indianapolis or Indiana, is supporting um, women uh, and especially, you know, high school or junior high um, students and getting involved in STEM and especially, you know, girls. And then also, you know, staying in Indiana after graduation, too, because that's another problem that we have. One, either um, women don't pursue you know, software fields. And for us, like software doesn't have to be, you're an engineer and you can code. Like for me, right. I, I, I don't code. I know just enough to be dangerous, but I know what's possible <laughs> and I know how to build, you know, you know, software, software. So there's so many other disciplines around, you know, call it STEM or call it, you know, technology that women can be involved in. Um, and, you know, starting and exposing those earlier, um, you know, in their careers is important. So just a couple of ways, like there's a great organization called Be Brave. Mm-hmm. And Be Brave is a national organization where um, I've spoken with um, uh, middle school girls that are looking and pursuing computer science classes, right? And kind of educating them and broadening their horizons about what career path could you go down if you pursue this career. Um, I also do speaking at my um, alma mater, DePauw University as well, to encourage women to go into entrepreneurship, to pursue, you know, tech fields, whether that be STEM, coding, or just business, because, you know, we, we're lacking in, in um, you know, women executives and, and business careers as well. So, um, and then and finally, um, kind of involved in um, this statewide organization called Indiana Technology and Innovation, and that's really all about bringing um, and retaining talent. Like, we don't right. want the brain drain to go. We want them to stay here and right. um, and hopefully, you know, help companies like 120 Water Audit grow at the same time. So right. keep your talents local. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so anyway, and, and again, I don't let that distract from my day job, but, um, but I, I, you know, I think it's important, you know, when asked to, to do things like that, um, because especially if you have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. um, or ideas to share. So, um, so try to do that, uh, from time to time. 
your background is in communication. Obviously, we're huge fans of that. And up until you decided to start a company to solve the lead problem, your background was in marketing, which you've uh, mentioned a little bit ago. So I'll go ahead and say that the water industry is still catching up in this area. Um, some are light years ahead, some are light years in the other direction. We could probably talk for days on this subject, but if you could pick one area or really one shift in mindset in communication in the water sector, what would it be? Yeah, and I, I think I, I maybe in a roundabout way touched on it earlier. Um, I think seeing the ratepayer as a customer is just so incredibly important. And I, and to your point, I mean, know that there are systems that are light years ahead of like coming to that, you know, point of view, but you know, um, but we're customers at the end of the day, we may not have many choices or we may have zero choices when it comes to who I buy my water from, but we're still customers. Right. And I think, um, you know, and again, I, this is a this is meant a, a statement meant to empower. I think the industry and not you know bring it down. But I think if you if you take a look at um, you know programs that the programs and priorities of, of the water system, I, I think I, I forget who who brought up this point, but um, a lot of these systems are understaffed, right? And yeah. honestly, every single available resource needs to go to be cleaning, you know, cleaning and protecting our infrastructure and drinking water. And so, you know, even if you have available funds to spend on um, marketing or consumer focused events um, are just not there. Right. But I think, um, I think if we look at the trends around water and how much more vocal the customer is becoming around water and how we need to advocate for the consumer, I think that we need to really take a, a, a step back and say, how am I going to now interact with, you know, customers because I'm going to need things from them. <laughs> right. And, um, I may need to increase rates. I may need to get them to buy into replacing their infrastructure. I honestly may just need a good review and for them not to call their attorney general. <laughs> I mean, like, like literally, but, um, but I think, you know, that expectation of in order to, um, you know, get what I need from our customers, you have to kind of, um, you do have to do marketing and communication outreach and not just because you're forced to, right, but because that's just a good thing you should be doing um, to touch your customers. Exactly. And I think that um, communication is so oftentimes sort of the, the low hanging fruit in terms of what utilities can do. Um, when I, I think I always kind of go back to every year, the American Water Works Association does a state of the water industry report. And for the past several years, at least the past five years, when you look at the top five challenges that utilities respond to as being the, the greatest challenges that they're facing, two of them are always the public's lack of understanding of w water systems and services. Mm -hmm. And there's another one that's the public's lack of understanding of the value of water. And yep. so obviously those two are directly related to communication, but the other three are related to the replacement and renewal of infrastructure, um, long-term water availability and workforce and financing. Workforce. Well, that's further down, but and financing those things, but all of those require an element of communicating with the public to get buy-in and support. So absolutely. I like to say that communication is the Occam's razor of yeah. the water industry. So 
with all things being equal, the simplest solution is typically the the answer. And so, like, if if the low hanging fruit is just to talk, is to communicate better with your public and your customers, then why would we not absolutely be doing that? So, um, <clears throat> so I love I love that approach and that perspective of customer first and customer centric. I think that that's I think that that's really important and like not their mission. Y'all are mission driven. Mm-hmm. get it you know <laughs> you guys just get it yeah right. it's nice yeah. to sit around a table and and talk water and communication with you guys for sure mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's you know there aren't a lot of those conversations going on which is why we just like I felt like attached to you guys right away because you, you get it you actually want to talk to customers like they're actual human beings you know what I mean and um and uh, that's, uh, you know, again, I think that's just refreshing and, and needed. Um, and, and again, given where a lot of water programs are going, um, it's going to become super critical, right? I think, I think right. the, the, the utilities that are going to struggle to kind of execute some of the um, point of use events are, are going to be those that don't have a great relationship with their customers. Um, so I, I do think it's going to become mission critical over the coming decades to be able to, to figure out how we solve for that. And I understand it's a hard sell. I mean, the the utilities, the entities that you're working with are dealing in the area that's probably the most sensitive right now, um, unless you're looking over sort of on the East Coast where they're dealing with a lot of emerging contaminant issues and PFAs and things along that lines. But outside of that, like, like lead is one of the most sensitive issues. And so it's scary for a utility to to consider putting themselves out there. But it's, it feels counterintuitive, but really, if you if you come at it from a place of accountability and transparency, that really that's what people want. They don't want, they're not expecting you to have all of the answers. They just, they want a dialogue and they want to feel like they're being heard mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and, and not to be afraid of the small percentage of people who you're just never going to make happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> building those yep. relationships with the ones that are either on the fence or just want that dialogue are going to be the ones who can come to your defense as advocates um, in those social media instances. I mean, we've seen that happen firsthand. So um, just helping, helping together, we can help utilities kind of to overcome that fear because I understand how it's, it's daunting and it's, it's not fun to be under the spotlight. (laughs) No, no. And it's, it's not, it's not fun, but, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not fun, but I, you know, I, I also believe that those those not fun events can also be really great catalysts to make an impression on your customers. But I'll just like leave you with this one story. So, you know, we do we kind of intercept customer service calls from time to time for some of our um, clients. So we yeah. literally take our customers' customers' calls, uh, especially if it's around their kits. And uh, I happened to be like the last one in the office one day, and I, and I picked up my phone. I picked up the phone, and it was um, it was a I'm gonna leave out the city name, but it was um, a woman who just wanted to make sure she was reading her results correctly. And I walked her through. I, I pulled up her information. I walked her through, and she's like, "I just want to know. Thank you so much for the service." She said, um, and she thought she was talking to the, the the water system. She didn't know she was talking to one, you know, or to yeah. for an extension. Right. And she said, "You know, I'm expecting my second child, uh, you know, in a few months, and it just gives me a lot of peace of mind to know mm-hmm. I did this and you offered this, and I just really appreciate it." And it's yeah. like, it's like, can I send this to your PR people to like blast <laughs> all over? Because how awesome is a story like that? Like, you know, a lot of our clients don't 
create the messes they're in, right? They've inherited infrastructure, right? They've yeah. inherited everything and it's, it's not their problem and it shouldn't be their problem, but you know, how they choose to, you know, um, address it speaks volumes, I think, in terms of how successful they're going to be in the long term. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to get into the lightning round. Ding, ding, ding. Oh boy. <laughs> Um, this is probably Isaac's favorite round, I think. Um, okay. So what's your favorite book right now that you can recommend to all of us? Yes. Right now I am reading Be Fearless by Jean Case. Nice. Nice. Yes. I would, I would recommend it. Is that like a, uh, kind of a leadership book? It, it is a leadership book, but what it does is it analyzes a lot of different successful leaders across um, um, decades, and it, it tries to maybe distill trends and traits on terms of, you know, what has really made these leaders successful and fearlessness and all that goes around with it. It's, it's, it's just really interesting. It, it is, but it's not a boring um, leadership book, by the way. I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's actually really interesting. So I check it out. It just, it literally just came out like last week. So awesome. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. I'd be bummed if you recommended a snoozer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's kind of badass too. So written by a, a powerful female. So you'll appreciate that too. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So what's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Yeah. So every day I make, um, and I make, and I check my to-do list. Um, I've yet to go a day within the last three years where I'm able to check everything off, yes. but I, I do, I am pretty uh, ruthless in terms of always checking that to-do list. And the other thing that I do is I cancel at least one meeting a day. Ooh, I want to do that. <laughs> am I allowed to? Uh, no. Can I cancel one of our meetings? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I won't cancel Isaac's meeting. No, we won't cancel that one. Oh, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask if you ever add something to the list, and so that you can cross it off. Because <laughs> I do. Oh my gosh. Because I do. No. That. Oh, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. If it's been like a really long week that's been like derailed or sidetracked, I will do that. Because like there, there is a subconscious thing where I cannot go. Like I do have to have that that cross off the list. But yes, I have. It that just feels so good, you know. Yeah. Sometimes One thing you I gotta, can get done. Yeah. yeah, or maybe I just forgot to add it to the list, and I'm like, why would it not be on the list? I'm clearly gonna write it right now and immediately cross it out. Mm -hmm. Just there's something so. Oh. It takes it out of that cabinet space in your brain. Yeah, it releases yeah. endorphins. Yes. Really, that's what yeah. it does. Yeah. But, um, okay, so at the end of every interview, we ask the same question of all of our guests, and um, in our line of work. Arianne and I have had people tell us that it doesn't, you know, why should I make a change? I'm just one person. It doesn't make a difference. But we obviously disagree with that wholeheartedly. And we think that one person making a change can be contagious and inspire others to do the same. So what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Mm -hmm. Um. So right now, um, right now I'm on this big call to action to just say yes. <laughs> um, and I guess that's counterintuitive because I said, I, I, you know, I, I can't, I cancel one meeting a day, but, um, <laughs> but I, I think especially for, um, 
for like folks that are just kind of figuring out where they're going to go in their professional career and figuring out, you know, where are they going to land? Um, you know, having an open mind to, you know, what's out there and just saying yes to, to interesting meetings or maybe saying yes to projects that you normally wouldn't take on because I don't, you know, maybe it's not in your wheelhouse. I just, I think diversification of, of thought and, and, and whatnot is so critical and important right now. And I think the only way you can kind of do that is um, by having an open mind and saying yes to more things than, than no, you know, especially as you're trying to figure out um, you know, your passion in life, your, your career um, trajectory, et cetera. So, um, you know, I find myself having coffee meetings with interesting people just because I want to know their story and I want to learn something from them. And I maybe, maybe I'll take something away that I apply to my, to my everyday, but, um, but just again, trying to surround yourself and um, with diverse thought and, and saying yes to things that um, you may not know how they apply, but I, I, I guarantee you, like I am the, poster child of uh, things come around. Yeah, <laughs> they really yeah. do. If you, if you spend enough time, you know, networking, I, I remember starting 120 water audit when, when literally I was in, I was in a call room and I would just, I, I would end every call saying, tell me two other people in the industry that I should, I should talk to. Right. Yeah. And um, didn't know these people from Adam, but I would call them up and say, here's my, here, my name is Megan. Here's my idea. And here's what I'm thinking you know, tell me why I'm crazy. Right. Um, and, and, uh, you know, again, so just, uh, having an open mind to say yes, to, uh, to appreciate and, and diversify your thinking. And, um, I think outcome, the outcome of that is, um, can only help. Right. And it can only, who knows, maybe you, maybe you identify a problem that only you can solve. Yeah. Love it. Exactly. So Love it. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think I've even written something similar to that. It's so, especially, yeah, when you are starting out, that's so important. And that's how you really kind of figure out what it is you really love because when, yeah. then when you get to the point where you're just completely overwhelmed, it becomes easier. Like, okay, I really love this enough to keep on doing all of this. I can kind of shave off some of mm -hmm. these other things, but yeah, until you do it, you don't know. So I, I know. love it. Well, thank you, Megan, so much. Yes. It has been such a fun time to talk with you. Um, we have enjoyed living vicariously through you yep. as part of your Imagine H2O uh, experience. Yes. We're, we're huge fans of them. And so we were so excited for you guys to be um, to be accepted into the Accelerator. We know what an incredible honor and opportunity that is. and. Of course, we hope that you you kick ass in San Francisco and I'm like, bring it on. Well, we're going to take all the support we can get. We are so pumped, though, and, and obviously couldn't do it without you ladies. Um, you guys are we love what you guys do and um, can't wait to see you guys. I know. So we will we'll see you soon and we're looking forward to it. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Never miss out on future episodes by clicking subscribe or better yet, sign up for the Water Nerds newsletter at theh2duo.com forward slash newsletter. We also give you permission to slide into our DMs and shoot us your email that way to get you signed up as well. We are doing a ton of traveling, so please be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. Check out our profile with all our tour dates. Let's meet in real life. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that moved you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. 